coming to the end of our trilogy of super classical previews, welcome back to Hand of Pod. I am losing count, I do this every week now, 184. Um, I'm Sam Kelly, and we're joined this week on Hand of Pod by Andres Bruckner. Hello. And by Peter Coates. Hello. And we have no Boca Juniors fans this week. Uh, they haven't volunteered to come, possibly because they lost last week. Uh, but we'll get on to that later. Um, first of all, I should mention that we are sponsored. Hand of Pod is very proud to be sponsored by the Argentina Independent who are an English-language news website covering stuff from Argentina and across Latin America. You can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com, so thank you very much to them. And now, as I just turn the microphone up ever so slightly, uh, onward, we'll begin with a look back at the last um, the results that have happened since the last podcast happened which begins last Thursday um, with a 1-1 draw for Racing in Montevideo against Montevideo Wanderers, the first leg of their Copa Libertadores last 16, um, and was then followed later that evening by a 1-0 win for River Plate against Boca Juniors in the Monumental in the first leg of their Copa Libertadores last 16. We have then had a bunch, 15 in fact, Primera División matches between Friday and Monday, and those went as follows. Nueva Chicago, nil. Rosario Central 2, Lanús 1, Tigre 1, Estudiantes de la Plata 2, Tempele 1, Quilmes 0, Godoy Cruz 0, Huracán 1, Olimpo 3, Unión de Santa Fe 5, that's 5, Crucero del Norte 2, News Old Boys 1, San Lorenzo 1, Vélez Sarsfield 0, Argentinos Juniors 1, Aldo Civi 0, Banfield 3, Belgrano de Córdoba 2, Arsenal de Sarandí 0, uh, River Plate Reserves, nil. Racing Club Reserves, nil. San Martín de San Juan, 1. Atletico de Rafaela, 1. Independiente, 1. Boca Juniors Reserves, 1. Sarmiento, nil. Gimnasia Prima La Plata, nil. And Defensa y Justicia, 2. Colón de Santa Fe, 3. Um, following that, on Tuesday, Estudiantes last night uh, lost 2-0 mm. away to Independiente Santa Fe in Bogotá which means they go out of the Copa Libertadores, 3-2 on aggregate. And we have also, I've just remembered whilst talking, had a couple, I think, of Copa Argentina matches just this afternoon. Yes, the Deportivo Español won, defeated Godoy Cruz. That's a big result for them. Did they? Yes. Well, I'm going to look up all of those now. Um, it might take a while to load. Oh, bloody hell. They have, what's the cop out in this org, isn't it? Oh, my gee. Not dot com. Not Do you want me to drop the shutters down to see if we can slightly dampen that? Why don't you? I think we might move this computer slightly as well, just away from the mic, because um, that whirring that you can hear, listeners, is Peter's 
Yeah, Godoy Cruz lost 1-0 to Deportivo Español and Rosario Central rather less surprisingly defeated Deportivo Riestra 3-1. I wonder where that match was played. And Rosario side against the Buenos Aires side, so it was of course played in Junín. That's actually relatively sensible. Yes. But again is Thank you very much, Peter. It's a, a, a longer distance for the smaller club than for the bigger. Yeah. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, let's begin, however, with the Primera. Uh, what stood out for you this weekend, gentlemen? Anything in particular? Well, the reserves of River and Boca that uh, both got a draw. And uh, Racing. Bo both, and Racing, yes. Both thinking in the course, it's something that w we knew that it would happen on the second leg of the of the most important match of the year for them because all the, all all of the all, most of the people uh, I heard uh, said that uh, it is uh, all or nothing for for both teams in terms of. Um, of course, it's a long way to, to, to decide the tournament and, and until December there will be no more things or important things to play for for the team that loses the, or gets eliminated from the Copa Libertadores. So both, both, both teams were thinking, as well as Racing, on this Libertadores clash. So I think that is the most remarkable or most important thing of the weekend apart from uh, some Big number of goals, yeah. Results particularly mm. important because it affects the title race. Because of course, at the beginning of the weekend, Boca Juniors were three points clear of River Plate, and I think it was River were in second, weren't they? At the no, no, it's uh, well, they no, no, they're not now. At no, the beginning no. of the weekend, it was yes. River Boca first and River second, with a three-point gap, and there's still a three-point gap between Boca and River, but now it's Boca first. San Lor no Belgrano and Rosario Central joint second, and then River a point behind them. Um, with San Lorenzo. Yes, River level with San Lorenzo, yeah, you're right. Um, that has happened because, of course, Rosario Central and Belgrano both won, I'm assuming. Well, Belgrano definitely did. They beat uh, Arsenal de Sarandi 2-0, which is very much like taking candy from a baby these days. And not a particularly strong baby at that, it must be said. Um, and Central, of course, beat Nueva Chicago. Talking of babies, perhaps slightly stronger baby than Arsenal, but still very much both easily a person recently born, you know. Well, no, still one imagine. Both both results easily. No, that's true. They still yeah, one, well, no, them and Arsenal have won a match. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it might be struck off because of them accidentally yeah. fielding a suspended play. Yeah, both both results were easy to see for a someone who previews results like Mystic Sam, for example. I did call both of those. It's one of the great things about this 30, it's the only great thing about the 30-team league when you're trying to predict, is that if you've got one of the top sides, somebody in the top five against somebody in the bottom five, so there are 25 places between a, them in the league. A bit, a little bit of logical to this tournament, because uh, when Rosario Central was the first in the table, and they, I think they, they drew against Rafaela 1-1, I think. Yeah. So when, some, when Atletico were bottom, yeah. bottom and Rosario Central first one, first leaders of the so we, sometimes there, is, there are results that you can preview and they then 
then it, it happens like that. From time to time. But by and large, when there's a 27-point gap between teams, the uh, the higher-placed team has managed... Not a 27-point gap, sorry, that really would be impressive so far, uh, given that we've already got about 33 points on the board. No, but Belgrano has 21 now, points gap. They, yes. they have 21 points more than Arsenal. Oh, they do, don't they? You're quite right. Um, Although we might, we might now see an uh, improvement in Arsenal's record. Well, well, we'll come on to that at the end because Peter's quite right in identifying that Arsenal have um, made an announcement that's going to excite some of our regular listeners, I think it's fair to say. First of all, I wanted to have a look at Union versus Crucero Leonardo. Credit, uh, and some people are going to fall off their chairs when they hear me saying this, but credit to Crucero Leonardo for very briefly making it interesting, um, or at least semi-interesting, after Union raced into a 2-0 lead. Um, I really wanted to mention, first of all, however, that Union's first goal was wonderfully worked. I didn't realise until I was watching the All the Goals video on YouTube yesterday um, that I'd missed their first goal, and it was tremendous. Scored by, is it Lucas Gamba? Yeah. It's L Gamba, anyway. Yeah. Um, it was very nice, it worked. Uh, but yeah, a 5-2 win. Union were 2-0 up after 10 minutes, 3-0 up after 36, but... Crucero del Norte clawed it back to 3-1 um, and then very briefly were only 3-2 behind before letting in another two goals in the last 13 minutes. Um, so that was nice, entertaining finish. Yeah, Decent think, second half at least. Union should be commended for how they've performed so far in, in the Premier League. I mean, they were, only Boca and River have scored more goals in, in, the, mm. in the Premier League so far. And uh, although they're obviously dependent on Gamba, Tiberio um, was. Tiberio and Melcora, <clears throat> the three of those scored basically all their goals, but still, this, those three alone are, are such a, a dangerous combination, gives them a huge uh, advantage over the, the other ten promoted sides and, and, and yeah. deservedly find themselves in well comfortably in the top half. Um, a note aside as well for Crucero del Norte who we do keep mentioning as shit um, and I did say last week they've lost 5 out of 5 away from home it's now 6 out of 5 it will be to nobody's surprise uh, that I say that they are the bottom ranked side in the away standings not in the overall standings um, but I, was, I found out something or found out I'm not going to pretend to be the person who discovered it but I noticed something uh, quite interesting yesterday, which is that Union in six away matches so far have conceded 15 goals. How many do you think they've conceded at home? Sorry, not Union, Crucero del Norte. How many goals have Crucero del Norte conceded in six home games? About two, three. Two, yeah. exactly two. They have the best, uh, no, sorry, Tigre have conceded one. Tigre, the only side in the Premier, have conceded fewer goals at home than Crucero del Norte, uh, which, bearing in mind how, as I say, demonstrably bad Crucero del Norte are, speaks volumes for just what an effect that pitch is having, doesn't it? Yeah, all the games there have been utterly... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, they're, they're either goalless draws or the away side snatch <laughs> a 1-0, um, which is usually a scrappy goal, hmm. because it's just impossible to, to play football, it's impossible to work any kind of, or keep any possession, work any nice passing moved, so yeah, just awful, awful football. Not, not that they're not 
perfectly within their rights to keep the pitch like that of course I just wanted to uh, stick the boot into them this week because we're not going to get a chance to for the next couple of weeks probably um, oh another thing we have to mention is Olimpo who brought to an end a run of 777 minutes without scoring by scoring three times in the space of 14 17 minutes um, to come from behind to beat Huracan 3-1 away from home that was quite a turnaround and I did not see it coming how did they do it? Awful, awful defense by by Uruguay is the only the only answer I have because uh, Uruguay wasn't brilliant, but have been perhaps with their uh, way of, of 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 their personality with a, a high because of the win against River for the Supercopa Argentina, and that that means having another title in in six months of space of six months or so with Copa Argentina and Supercopa uh, and with a lot of, of players saying that the coach is, is, is uh, brilliant, we made for Huracan because he's the most winner coach in the history of Huracan because well, they won two titles one while they had mm -hmm. previously won only 73 titles 1973 could be 73. Uh, it was the Nacional, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. with uh, with Menotti, uh, and uh, that uh, that meant uh, well uh, a lot of uh, uh, courage for for the players, which uh, who, who uh, were uh, ready to play against Olimpo, home uh, condition with everything to win, with starting to win the match with a Torasa penalty, and then when. Uh, I, it's hard to explain how they, they they did that conceding three goals in that space of time. I, I think they've been taking tips on how to set up an offside trap from Pep Guardiola. Yeah, because yeah, three of the all of the of the goals were in the small box or the yeah. six yard box. Yeah, six yards. Um, they need so to really pull their fingers out though, basically. I mean, the start the start of the season is, is easy to make excuses for the game and say. Oh well, you know they've that got a small score as well. Every midweek, and right, I remember it and on the weeks that I was on. We were we were saying how their schedule, particularly, was very intense at the start. Of the yeah, season. they had I think the first four Libertadores games all in consecutive weeks. Yeah. They didn't actually get a, a full week between matches until something like the fifth or sixth round of but, games. Um, now they're out. They they really need to um, be focusing on the Premier because they I, are. I know it's early, but when you look at the census, they um, yeah. They're 28th out of 32, of course, only the bottom two go down at the end of this year, but they are third bottom. Um, they might well be rescued for now by the fact that the sides below them, Cruzeiro del Norte and Nueva Chicago, um, are as bad as they are. I do think Oracan are a bit better than either of those once they you know, hit a bit of a, a rhythm of having a week between every match, which they've had for a couple of weeks now, but once they actually pick themselves up a bit, they, they should be okay. Um, but they, as much as anything, Let's not forget, assuming that, we're, that what we're expecting to happen happens, and with Argentine football, you never know, um, the second half, the first half, sorry, of next year, uh, is going to be another transitional championship with potentially four to six teams being relegated and then two fewer than go down coming back up. And Huracan will be stuck then because it's still being done with the points average system, so points this season will go towards that standing and points not gained this season will put you lower down. Um, and so, yeah, they do need to start putting their back into it a bit. Um, other noteworthy results, Estudiantes got a 2-1 win 
over Tempele, Diego Vera with a fantastic uh, winner. Um, Estudiantes were, uh, it has to be said as well, Fabian Sambuesa's opener for Tempele was, was very nice. Um, Estudiantes pretty useless in the first half and much better in the second. But for Estudiantes, the main talking point is, is Tuesday night, right? They're going out the Copa Libertadores. They were seen as one of the, the main threats in the Libertadores because they have this mystica copera, as, as you call it in Spanish. Um, how much of a shock was it when they, when they went out to Independiente? Santa Fe, Independiente yeah. Santa Fe. I, I, sorry, I don't think the result as such, if you looked at the, at the tie before, before the first leg, for example, wouldn't have been a shock to say Independiente and then go through, but I think the performance of Estudiantes yeah. last night was a shock because literally until about the 89th minute, there was just nothing at all. And even, even going behind in the first half, which meant they were going out, there was still very little reaction. Well, uh, I think that that mystic was uh, well uh, before these times because uh, second half against Independiente Santa Fe in La Plata was an advice of, of what Santa Fe could, yeah. could do. And that was the thing, it was they, they, were, they were good in the first half of the first yeah. leg and then they just played three useless halves after that, up until, as Peter says, about the 89th minute, Leonardo Jara hit the crossbar in stoppage time, which could have taken it to penalties um, on Tuesday night, but apart from that, it was very limp. Morel, I think, was the player that gave in the minutes and the they so valuable, such a valuable goal in the first leg that meant that today in the minutes and the advanced to the quarterfinal because up to that goal was 2 0 for, for Estudiantes, which would men, have meant going to penalties yesterday. Uh, but they, they, they were surrounding the, the box against uh, in the first leg against Estudiantes when match was 2 0. They, they achieved to score the 1 the 2, and then, well, uh, uh, its new coach. Like Melito, who is, I think he's capable. He has uh, skills, but uh, it's uh, relatively new for 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 the to to make an anal analysis of what have done, what he has done, uh, good or wrong or right or wrong. Uh, because of course uh, now there will a lot of voices saying that Melito. What, what has Milito done in, in the team and, and things like that? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, w I was thinking about this in light of, of that, of, of them getting knocked out. And in some ways, I think they may have been a slight... I think Milito could well turn out to be a very good coach, but it's very difficult for, uh, for him just to come in when he's been, what, two weeks and to expect any differences uh, in... The first, oh no, sorry, their last group game was his first game in charge. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very small amount of time. They're not really going to have changed at all in terms of how they play. Um, Let's say that, that, that Verón, who is the president of Estudiantes, fired, sacked Pellegrino with only one match to go for the end of the group stage. And that could be wrong in terms of times because mm. you, you, uh, don't let the, the the coach who had been has been working with the players for a long time and put another one brand new manager with perhaps different ideas and the players have to uh, work with that idea have to knew, know that, that idea the coach itself because players 
of course, you say that, uh, or it, it is said that when there is a new coach, players have new, new uh, ex expectations because they, they new expectation because they, they uh, well, all of them uh, turn out to be with the same, same uh, possibilities. But that also brings insecurity for me, for me in yeah. terms of well, what what will he do? What will Milito do? Will, will I play with him? Will I will I play with will I be a substitute or, or what? Mm. Whatever. But it's um, I mean it, it's fairly obviously Pellegrino was sacked because of the performance in the league rather than the Libertadores. You would think that uh, it, it's something that uh, perhaps maybe puts a little unwanted pressure on Milito. I'm not sure. I, I don't think it's going to affect him overly. I was um, I was never sure whether Veron didn't identify Milito as his is obvious number one pick um, as a manager and then was in a way forced to move quicker than he may have wanted to given the Independiente situation. Right, we well, had a question about that I think in one of the last two episodes that you've not been on, Peter. Mm. Do you think Milito would have been in the running to get it given the falling out he had with the Agueros? I think his name would have still been in the mix given... Well, we're talking about the, the Independiente um, job if I'm wrong. Yeah, and I think over the last couple of weeks, obviously, with every passing Independiente game, that's got stronger. Um, and I think he would have been mentioned. I don't know. I mean, without knowing the full details of this fallout, it's difficult to know what his standing is. Um, I know that they've previously said before appointing Amaron, they, they asked Melito about... Um, Managing Independiente, and he said he, he he said he felt he wasn't ready at the time. Mm. Um, that would have, that was a few rounds into the Donovan transition last year, right? Or was it the start of the season? Mm, was it the start? Uh, of the I mean, Ron was in charge of the start of the season, wasn't he? The start of the season. But he, at the time, he said he wasn't ready. Now he obviously feels he he is ready to 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 um, manage a Premier club. Not without knowing the details of the fallout, you know. Yeah. I think he would it's, it's also possible that he decided that working for Juan Sebastián Verón is going to be a relatively stable president. It's possibly <laughs> yeah. a slightly better idea, job security-wise, than working yeah. for uh, the lot who are in charge of Independiente at the moment and in the hands of the Barras. Um Let's move on to the the big five, shall we? Uh, and begin with San Lorenzo, who were the only one of the big five who were not playing another one of the big five. Um, they were playing the uh, the club who likes to advertise themselves as the biggest of the interior, Newell's Old Boys, and I thought it was one of the best matches of the weekend, in spite of the fact that the two goals came only three minutes apart. Um, Ezequiel Ponce returning from injury with a very nice finish, low into the bottom corner from the edge of the box, um, and then Martin Cateruccio, less spectacular finish. Not as much of a golasso, um, but in its own way, I thought just as good a finish, bearing in mind that he was struggling to stay on his feet and sort of managed to, to whack it um, very nicely into the bottom corner to make it 1-1. And so it ended, but I think it's fair to say that 3-3 would have been just as accurate a reflection of how that match went. I really enjoyed it. I don't know what you two thought. Yeah, I thought San Lorenzo probably could, maybe should have won it. Given the, the like their clear chances they had in the second half, particularly Cadruccio could have had, a, again probably should have actually had a hat trick. Yeah. I mean, at least one of them was an absolute 
sitter. I think when he when he went round the keeper yes. at one point and then yeah. hit, the, hit the post instead. Um, and then he missed another one not long after, which wasn't quite so clear, but he had some opportunities where you think, oh, a striker, you know, bang in form, I think would have would, probably would have come away with a hat-trick. Football Veritas on their um, pages for each match record the statistics and they have uh, shots, shots on target and also goal-scoring chances count all separated out. And the shots and shots on target for both teams were fairly even, but the mm. goal-scoring chances were something like 7-1 to San Lorenzo. Yeah. Um, so it, it was uh, one that definitely San Lorenzo would have been disappointed not to take the points from. Um, but overall, a, a decent game, as was another 1-1 draw involving um, not just one, but two big five teams. We're going to spend more time on that one, I think, because although there were two River Plate fans here, we can review River Plate against Racing reserve match uh, by just saying that it was rubbish. Basically, Racing, I think, will be happy with the draw they were playing to get it. River couldn't break it down. I don't think there's anything more to say about it. So, Independiente Boca, on the other hand, um, just afterwards at the half past nine Sunday night kickoff, um, was tremendous entertainment for those of us who were watching it from a relatively neutral point of view. Um, Peter was saying just before we started recording that Independiente seemed to have gone from being a team who just whose attacking philosophy is to throw everything forward and hope something goes in to a team whose defensive philosophy is to get as many men behind the ball as they can and don't like the fact that they can hack it away and often look like they've never seen a football before when time comes to do that hacking. Yeah, I think their defending is, is still um, haphazard, to say the least, but um, I mean, I, I thought, the main, the, obviously the main talking point I'm sure we'll get onto was ended up being... Federico Macquesha, but I think in the actual balance of play, Independiente um, shaded things um, and certainly seemed like the team more willing to, to, to look for a, for a winner. Um, which which is I, probably understandable given, yeah, as course, I say, yeah. Boca were fielding almost entirely a reserve side with, with the way that um, Rodolfo Arena almost got those arse then. Um, with the way that he's, he's been acting both before the first leg of the Libertadores match and before the second leg, which of course is uh, by the time the very first of you hear this, it's going to be a bit later tonight. Uh, I will get this online quickly again on Thursday. Um, it's difficult to know exactly what Bocca's 11 is going to be because he deliberately has been putting out misleading teams in training sessions so that River don't get any clues. Uh, credit to for that, actually, I say. No problems with that at all. Apparently, Warren Hart or perhaps it's. It's, it's wrong, but uh, is that the the big problem or the big doubt Arroarena had was whether to include Lodeiro or Meli into the starting lineup? Yeah, that as the only uh, doubt, big or big doubt, because the other ten or uh, ten players were clear and. and well. in, in his head at least, but we will uh, get onto that a little later. Uh, what I was saying was, since it's, it was largely a Boca reserve side, I mean, it's, it's inevitable that they were going to be the happier, I think, to, to maybe settle for the draw. Yeah, yeah. Plus, as well, they knew that with a point, they were going to end the weekend top of the league, whatever else happened. Yeah. But, but, of course, by the time they kicked off, they already knew that nobody else would overtake them anyway, even if they lost, but a draw was, was good enough. Yeah, I think, um, and I'll, I'll sort of credit Almiron, um for what I'm about to say there. I think in the first half there was a lot more panic 
independent defending because I think they were a bit hesitant and they put they were putting people behind the ball and allowing Boca to play a, a lot more. And I think that's the first half was when Boca enjoyed most of their mm. chances and um, most of their possession. I think in the second half there seemed to be um, far more intensity. The independiente were pressing up, they were getting control of the ball and, and forcing Boca into mistakes. And that was when they enjoyed most of their uh, success and, and, and looked like the team who were going to go on to win it. But obviously, it didn't. And, uh, shot in the foot somewhat <laughs> by... Um, there are a couple of things that we have to talk about independiente-wise, actually, post-match. But let's get the first one out of the way and rip that plaster off, Peter, because you have mentioned already uh, Federico Banquecio and why we should get on to him. Um, in order to make you squirm just a little bit more, I'm going to ask you to tell us what happened to Federico Banquecio. Uh, yeah, well, um, basically about the 88th minute, um, it was, as, as I've already kind of said, it was Independiente who were certainly the more urgent team for looking to, to get hold of the ball, and um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember who it was now, one of the Bocas subs, Palacios, yeah, was on the right wing and appeared to sort of dribble the ball out of play. So Manquesha ran over to the side and got thrown a second ball. But this is whilst being sort of not manhandled but being challenged quite closely by Manquesha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seemed quite clear that the ball did cross the line, and I think even Palacios's response seemed a bit. Like, okay, yeah. it has kind of gone oh, out. Oh, he's letting us play on right in that <laughs> yeah. case. There, there was no whistle, so Palacios continued to play. But in the meantime, Manquecho had been thrown a second ball by the ball boy. And as Palacios ran off down the right wing, Manquecho threw the second ball kind of across his path, um, resulting in there being two balls on the pitch at the time. Um, and... But he, he didn't make a throw-in. He just threw the ball. No, he threw yeah, like a basketball chest pass. And I think he was, tr- he was trying to, to hit the ball. The yeah, he obviously... That, uh, uh, either way, it was obviously an attempt just to disrupt the play. Um, the, the important thing to note by this point is that my question had already been booked as well. Which again um, was a stupid booking because it was for arguing over a, a corner. Yeah, Oh yeah. of course I forgot what it so was. So in fact the two bookings themselves were, were both basically just for, um, for stupidity. Um... So yeah, he ended up getting a second booking in the 88th minute for throwing that second ball off the pitch and, and was then sent off. And the reason this is even more stupid is that uh, in Argentine football is, is a league where there's lots of bad behaviour and you can, you know, try, losing your temper like that in, in, in the middle of the match is something that's almost look, overlooked unless, unless you do it and get stupidly sent off or suspended right before a classical. And what's happening this weekend, Peter? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, which brings us on to probably the main talking point of being the classical Davi Schneider on, on Sunday. And um, as we say, Racing, of, well, of course, were able to rest basically their entire starting 11. They'll, they'll be playing their starting 11 on Thursday evening um, at home to Montevideo Wanderers in the Copa Libertadores second leg. I think the quarterfinal first legs are next week. Yeah, I'm hoping they I'm are. told they are anyway. <laughs> The, yeah, the semi-official Libertadores fan site has got them being in two weeks' time and then the second legs the week after that. But that would have the second legs being after some of the pre-Copa America friendlies and it doesn't make much sense. And Tim Vickery told me yesterday on Twitter that they were actually a week earlier, both legs, um, which would make more sense, um, 
But either way, I think it's safe to assume that Racing will be putting out the full strength 11 this weekend in the Classical Neo-Vesceneda. Um, as it turns out, Federico Manquesho will actually be playing in the Classical Neo-Vesceneda. Um, the reason for that, in spite of his suspension, is one that we're going to get on to after the musical break later because we actually have had a listener's question uh, that's related to it. So we're not going to explain it just yet. You'll have to keep, keep listening to find out the ridiculous reason that Federico Manquesho is, is going to be allowed to play this weekend. We do have to mention a couple of other things to do with Independiente, though, and one is that Matias Pisano has been linked to Borussia Dortmund. Um, the, the person doing this linking is perhaps not the most unbiased because it's, he's been linked to Borussia Dortmund by Matias Pisano. Um, he was on Fox Sports, I think it was Fox, no, it was ESPN Radio. I can't remember which radio station it was. He was on radio yesterday, uh, and he said that he had spoken to one of the Dortmund scouts after the match, and he felt that he left a good impression. Do you think Borussia Dortmund are coming in for Matthias Pisano, Peter? I'd be surprised. I read that. I read that myself, and I, 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 I think that if if Borussia Dortmund or whatever club in Europe wants some any independent player, that would be my question, not Pisano. Well, well. I just, We've had I, a couple of other transfer rumours, I saw you saying on Twitter earlier, Peter, so tell us about Independiente's players well, after Europe. Well, yeah, Pisano is the, the one he said about Borussia Dortmund, which he seems to have generated himself. Um, <laughs> There's one of them going to somewhere in Spain. Um, is this right, if I remember correctly? Manquesha seems to have been linked with a, a, a with lot of teams, general. with Palermo and, uh, yeah, some, like Celta Vigo previously and, and even some Premier League sides. And my favourite one. Yeah, and this one. Where this has come from, but um, I believe it was in the Stoke local newspaper that Stoke are poised to swoop for Lucas Albertengo. I think what we can take from this is that somebody who writes for the Stoke Stoke's local newspaper listens to Hammer Pod (laughs) or reads your blog or both, Um, because God knows where they've got that from. Yeah, I mean, even the story I, I actually clicked on the Stoke Sentinel, I think, is the, the the newspaper, and suggested that Stoke have scouts out here watching Independiente. I thought, blimey, I mean, <laughs> didn't know if Stoke's scouting network was that extensive, but apparently, yeah, they're, they're looking at Luke uh, Alvadenham. What can you tell Stoke fans about their new upcoming signing? No, oh, I think he's. I think Alvadenham's a. Very, very good Primera striker. Um, but not a very, very good Premier League striker. I'd be absolutely astonished if he went to a Premier League side and scored the amount of goals that he does here. Um, so, yeah, I'd be very, very surprised if that happened. And on the Pisano to Dorman rumours, um, he's one of the most frustrating players that I've ever seen. So. Perhaps if the scout stuck around for three minutes and happened to catch one of his mazy dribbles which worked off, then he might say, oh, that guy looks... looks Maybe he saw that brilliant goal that he saw a couple of weeks ago. Someone I can't remember. But I would defy a scout who's watched Independiente for more than... for for a full 90 minutes on more than two occasions and said, oh, you know, that guy was just terrorising defences. It's so frustrating to watch him because he's capable of some great moments but then at other times just it, it, I mean his size just seems to really just get bullied off the ball often. Mm. 
So I would be amazed if that also has any truth in it. And Croatia will, I'm sure, leave at some point to want any one of the teams that he gets linked to because none of the teams he gets linked to are, you know, top, top no. European sides. It's, it's kind of mid-table teams, I think, for those... In those cases, he could be a, a decent enough signing. Um, I think his, his clause in his contract is five million euro, uh, dollars or something like that. Um, so it's not a crazy amount for a side in, in one of the European leagues. But the others, pff, I'd be surprised. Interestingly, or perhaps not, no European sides have yet been linked to an independent centre-back. No. Um, if that happens and you support said European side, dear listeners, panic. Um, We've already mentioned River Racing. Any other final talking points from the weekend just gone? Well done, Colon. They picked up their first win of the season. 3-2 away to Defensa Justicia. In what I gather was quite an interesting match. I was presenting a pub quiz at the time, so I missed it and then got home and found that I missed a five-goal thriller. Um, but a couple of nice goals in that one. Have a look for it on YouTube. It was very good. Um, Argentinos Juniors with just the perfect away performance. They've produced a couple this season. Boxing very clever against Vélez Sarsfield. Restricts them to nothing at all, getting that late penalty from Cristian Alvarez to win it. Um, but Vélez, my word, they're 22nd. They're rubbish. They used to be quite good. Back in the days when all this was fields, and when I say that, I mean, it was only two years ago. Well, I guess that's what happens when you sell all of your decent players. And they basically don't really buy anyone good. They have a player, funny, it's funny because they have a player called Amor Low. Mm. Translated to English. Oh, they got two bloody stupid red cards as well, I've forgotten about that. Yes. Carry on, Andres. No, the Amor has, was the one who uh, grabbed, uh, I don't remember the, number of, the name of the, of the Argentinian player from their back, and that was a penalty. Perhaps was discussed because he started grabbing him from. The outside the box and finished it inside, mm. and well, Cuero protested and he went. He had a, a red card because of that, and and, and Vélez, yes, was rubbish, just rubbish. Franco Flores got sent off for Argentinos on the 69th minute, and Nestor Gorosito, Argentinos manager, was shown a red card as well for protesting the decision. Um, and then. As Andres says, Fabian Cubero was sent off in the 83rd minute and Emiliano Amor was sent off. Um, it was actually Cubero again who had the penalty. Amor was sent off. No, Amor was the one who. It, if he hits, yes. For sure. Amor was the one who committed the penalty and, and then Cubero uh, protested and, and that's why he. Oh, you're right. Okay, they've got, yes. the, um, they've got the minutes mixed up in that case on, this, on, on the uh, feature that I'm looking at. Um, but yeah, Cubero sent off for just talking and talking and talking, like he always does. Yes. I'm wondering, first of all, the, the other thing is that the official Vélez um, Twitter account immediately said that this referee is really controversial. And I mean, of the three red cards for players, Count, you know, Miscount Gorositos as the manager, but none of the three red cards were at all controversial. They were all, you know, okay, you could maybe look at them and go, hmm. Well, I don't know, but on the other hand, I can see why the ref gave it. It's not like it's a completely just fabricated decision. Um, I'm just wondering whether Guillermo Barrasekelotto could be next in line for the Velos job with this kind of conspiracy theory. Everybody hates us arguing with the refs all the time job. Can you imagine Cubero playing for a time managed by the Barrasekelotto? It would be 
they, they will turn in order they will take turns to complain because uh, uh, I think I don't know but I I, I will bet that Barres Kiloto complained about the Tigre goal uh, scored by Goni which was the equalizer mm. against Lanús because uh, uh, it was said that uh, or, or discussed whether he he was offside or not going in for the equalizer against Lanús so uh, if if there is a, a, a not clear play in which the referee doesn't benefit Lanús that, that, that is when Barros Pelotu comes so quite a clear play um, the problem I think that you just look at that when you just have the team up there who on earth is Tasked with scoring the goals of Venice. Mariano Pavone. Exactly. He's the centre forward. Well, there's, there's your problem. He's come to Mexico and scored goals. He's. I'm sorry. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, that, but that, that, if you look at the previous, like even last season, yes, when as I said at the time, they replaced Lucas Prato with Mariano Pavone. Exactly. And and even before, like Prato, then before you had Salati. Uh, for years now, Bellas have great players who can score goals. In any way? Now they don't. Gomez, the Bellas presence has already said one or two months ago that Pavone Cuero yeah, will need to severely shorten the squad yes. uh, for the second half of the year because they have no money so we'll see what happens uh, Sebastian himself says well the goalkeeper is going to be leaving and that's he's going to be a big loss for the defense. but that, that is strange because or or, or, or he he uh, earned an, 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 a very high wage and he they didn't want to pay him anymore or well, or, or, or there have been a bad behavior or something like that because it's hard to understand why the, his his contract expired in June and he's not uh, playing since uh, April or March. Uh, that's something I don't, I don't understand. I don't I don't get it. No, you're right. He's not playing, is he? No, I've forgotten about that. Yes, I haven't heard why. Anyway, standings at the moment: Boca Juniors lead the league. Um, they have eight wins and four draws, giving them 28 points from 12 matches. Belgrano and Rosario Central, Central are the other club who still have yet to lose this year in the league, both have 26 points. San Lorenzo and River Plate both have 25, and Tigre are sixth with 22, one point ahead of Racing. Uh, we're not going to go any further down than six, because otherwise I'll just end up seventh, sorry, or I'll end up accidentally listing the whole league. Um, at the very bottom of the relegation table, at present, um, it we have three teams who have just came up this year. Nueva Chicago are bottom, Cruzero del Norte are second bottom, and Huracan, as we mentioned earlier, are third from bottom. Defensive this year just above them. And Tempele, another newly promoted side, just above them. So that's the relegation um, battle at the moment. Right now... Uh, we need refills and so we're going to take a very short break when we come back we will preview River Plate against Boca sorry Boca Juniors against River Plate because it's in La Bombonera in the second leg of the Copa Libertadores uh, last 16 which is taking place on Thursday night that's when you're listening to this on Thursday afternoon um, and also probably just talk a little bit about the Clásico de Avellaneda because apparently that's a big match as well in its own right and we will also mix in with that chat um, answer some listeners' questions. So don't go anywhere. We've also got an um, Argentina squad. squad. We've also got an Argentina <laughs> preliminary squad to talk about, as Peter uh, quite rightly says. Uh, so don't go away, and we will cover all of those things, and possibly the Under-20 World Cup one as well, if we know enough about any of the players. <laughs>
Classico Part 3. We previewed the Super Classico two weeks ago, we previewed the Super Classico last week, and now we're previewing the Super Classico again. Boca Juniors take on host River Plate on Thursday night at 9 o'clock um, Argentine time, which will probably be before most of you have listened to this, but I, I'm going to make a promise now that it will be after um, this episode has gone online. You can listen to me, by the way. I'm doing live commentary on it on rabble.tv. Um, it was quite good fun last week. I watched it on the telly and got slightly tipsy and, and talked about it. It's it was a lot like a, a live episode of Hand of Pop with just one person. Um, it is live commentary with no delay because if if that's if it's it's no it's delay. like that, I can use that as a, as the commentary for the match and mute. The no delay at all. Although I'm not doing play by play, uh, I'm very much just uh-huh. sitting there telling people about. Um, what well, I'm drinking and, uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing. As I say, it's quite a lot like a one-person episode of Hand of Pod, in a way. Uh, but if you like the sound of it, then please go to rabble.tv, have a look for Boca Juniors v Reba Plate, or have a look for me. I'm, it's Sam underscore Kelly, and have a look for my broadcasts, and you will see me there. Um, or to check it on Twitter, I'll stick a link up there, just, just as we get going as well. Um, but now that that plug is out of the way, the match, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Rodolfo Arroba has been... Um, deliberately, as he said himself after last week's first leg, lying to journalists. Well, not lying exactly. He used the word lying, but really he's just putting out misleading lineups in training sessions. Does that help Boca? Does it mean that the team maybe aren't getting the chance to play together ahead of the match? I mean, they, last week's leg, first of all, we've not talked about it yet. What did we think of last week's 1-0 River win? Well, um... There was a lot of talking about also the referee, about how Herman Delfino allowed real plate players uh, kick or uh, apply some dirty play uh, against Boca players. Which, which, is, was, which is largely, I think, justified talk. Uh, we get occasional accusations on hand of pod of being very heavily biased towards River slash against Boca, and uh, more often than not that's because we are. But on this occasion, I just want to set things straight and mention that under Marcelo Gachardo, River have played some wonderful football at times and, and have been one of the finer footballing sides on the continent, particularly during that Copa Sudamericana run. But in Super Clásicos, they have been more than happy to um, just throw all that stuff out the window, basically, and, and break up Boca's counter-attacks by kicking them. Um, in a way, I admire that. I, I like a side who can show some grit in, in rivalries. In another way, it maybe has meant that the Super Classicos haven't been quite as good as a footballing spectacle. Well, but uh, I don't know when... Not, not that they're obliged to, to provide a footballing spectacle, but... Since yeah. there, is a, there is a lot of time since when... A lot of time ago, it's... Uh, or, or, sorry, there are... A lot of time uh, that there is the Super Classico played play finally in terms of football, in terms of play, in terms of beauty. Like, for example, comparing River Boca against, well, Real Madrid Barcelona won't play the final of the Champions League, for example, but for example, uh, and if they did, it would be dire. But yes, but Barcelona, generally speaking, they're, they're good matches. I'm Bar- not convinced it would have been a good Barcelona match. against Bayern Munich, which was a, 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 a beautiful or a very good match in terms of football, 
between two powerful teams in Europe that, that because they are even or they are good, Paraguay, Bayern Munich was, had, didn't have Ribery Robben and that made them uh, have fewer possibilities. But what I want to say is that you can't compare uh, first world football with third world one because uh, you can't believe it at the or same not. Time, we kind of, in a way, we do all the time. And yes. okay, the Copa Libertadores, which we're watching at the moment, and uh, by the way, Cruzeiro have just got one nil up home to Sao Paulo to make it one-one on aggregate in the fifty-six minute of their second leg. There are no Argentine sides playing tonight. It's Wednesday. Um, the Copa Libertadores the standard is, is you know, demonstrably lower than the European Cup. But it has a, I would say, a higher number of really entertaining matches for all of that. And Super Clásicos, no one's expecting the standard to be Real Madrid versus Barcelona, but they're quite frequently, they just descend into kicking and attrition and, you know. Marcelo Gallardo even admitted, or and, and he confessed, uh, that he deliberately, or, or he said the players to play like that, to, to uh, interrupt the game, to kick, or well, not to kick and, and to make a, a, a harsh or, or, or foul all the time to, uh, to the Boca players, but uh, to have a, a completely different way of playing uh, and, and to decide, decide it. Not, not well, the game was, uh, uh, was, th- was tough, was even and was like that, and, and it was like that because uh, the match, well, uh, it was given that way. No. He, he said the players and he planned something like that to uh, I'm talking about Boca against River for the Sudamericana with, with, when it was the first match in which uh, for example Banjoni kicked uh, Burrito Martinez and, and, mm. and, and it was the first of a lot of uh, fouls and, and the other one was the last 30 when River against Boca River defeat Boca and again uh, there were a lot of Fouls like the Funes Mori foul against Pablo Perez, Pablo Perez spitting on, on, on Gonzalo Martinez, uh, then Gago making a, a gesture like he was cold because Monumental is cold. Uh, Carlos Sanchez he, uh, kicking or punching Fernando Gago from their back, from his back. So there were a lot of plays that uh, could have been uh, punished with red card and, and they weren't. Uh, uh, but uh, River Boca in the last times were not with this amount of fouls, but with the, the with, with that uh, kind of play more more than the good plays and nutmegs and and, and under Gasharna, although River, as I said, have had the reputation for playing good football, it it's tended to be River doing more of the kicking, let's say, but it, it, the reason that I mention it as well, and, and something that becomes apparent whilst Andres was talking, was that uh, last week's referee for the first leg, um, who was very heavily criticised for his performance, uh, was Herman Delfino, one of the better referees, one of the better young referees oh, I think in South well. America, but who is the guy who, um, as Andres was about to say, um, reversed his decision apparently on video evidence from the Vélez Arsenal. No, what he was going to say that he will be the referee for for independent racing. Yes, he's been awarded for that rather poor performance by getting to referee one of the biggest matches, well, certainly the biggest match in Argentina this coming weekend and one of the biggest matches that there is in Argentine football. Um, 
Boca in particular were not very happy at all with the refereeing. It's not difficult to see why, because um, I'm not going to say they were particularly biased against that much more than River, but they lost the match and, and it, it could have been very different with a more competent ref. And as a result, um, they have been allowed to... I, I'm baffled by this. It, it's not that Boca, because of that performance, have been allowed to suggest a referee to Conmebol for the second leg. Both clubs have been allowed to nominate referees for both legs to the AFA, who have then sent their recommendation to Conmebol, who basically, for the first, for seemingly for both legs, have, have taken that, that um, recommendation. And as a result of that, this coming weekend, we have a referee... Sorry, this coming weekend, this Thursday, for the second leg, so tonight, by the time the first of you hear this, we have a referee, Dario Herrera, who is recognised as a talented ref, He's 30 years old. He's never managed a uh, referee de Clásico in Argentina. Well, certainly never a super Clásico. I don't think he's refereed a Clásico in Argentina um, uh, uh, in the Primera before. He's never refereed a Copa Libertadores or Sudamericana or Recopa or international match ever before. Um, he's from the same town as Rolando Schiavi's family. Schiavi, of course, is a Boca fan favourite. He's friends with Rolando Schiavi's family. I'm not saying that that's going to affect his referee, but if he makes any decision on Thursday, it could even be a correct one. But if it's seen, you know, by River fans to unfairly be towards Boca, that could be his refereeing career over, and he's 30. They're selling this stuff. Why do they way have? A, I, I don't a, understand a why they're allowed. Like, weird like this one, they're like. Yeah, yeah I don't crazy. understand why they're allowed in the Copa Libertadores. Why they why they have Argentine refs right, at all yeah, for correct. a Super Classical? If an Argentine side playing against a Colombian side doesn't have an Argentine ref in the Libertadores, then why does, why does River Boca? Because, oh, what? Argentine referees are known as the best on the continent, so you're saying a Brazilian or a Uruguayan couldn't have taken well, charge of Who is the referee, referee okay, for... Okay, Carlos Amarisha, sure. Who is the referee for the this match? Because they, are, they have already applied the... the, 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 the uh, oh, I will find out for you, Andres. I'll look it up right now. Keep talking because this is taking a while to load. Uh, no, uh, apparently Brazilian uh, football confederation um, called foreign referees, and that will, will be the same. The, the same measure will be taken by uh, well, Conmebol in in this case, AFA, because uh, for from 2016, if the same thing happens, I mean. River Moca or Racing Independiente or San Lorenzo against Estudiantes or whatever, there will be a foreign referee. Mm. Uh, the referee for the Cruzeiro San Paulo match that we're currently watching is a Uruguayan chap called Andres Cunha. He does have a, a Portuguese spelt surname, it's C U N H A rather than C U N Y A. So, you know, possibly some dodgy dealings going on there, but uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> well, well, because there is a new Uruguayan, Uruguayan referee in the, in a match between two Brazilian teams, and the same thing will happen from next next year if River and Boca or well Argentinian teams. Because it bloody well should. There's no reason at all the club should have any input, as Peter says, into choosing their referee, even when it's both club presidents sitting next to each other on a sofa with one of the vice presidents of AFA drawing names out of a bag and then arguing over them. And you know, relatively innocuous because just the fact that Herrera can give a perfect performance tomorrow night, but if it ends up being Boca who win the match, 
there are going to be River fans who are going to say, yeah, but you've got to pick the referee. And equally, Herrera could give a perfect performance tomorrow night, but if that results in him awarding River a couple of penalties, and as a result, River go through, Boca fans are going to destroy him then as well. Boca fans, like, celebrated the, the Herrera, choosing Herrera because uh, he has, has given eight yellow cards and one red card in, the, in his match. Uh, I don't remember now the match, but I remember that Mm. He he gave that amount of match of, of cards, which which will mean River to quit that dirty play to call to to say it in 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 a way. It's a decidedly silly situation, and as we say, um, Delfino is also refereeing this this Sunday Super uh, Super Classic or Super Classic or the Irish as one of the more idiotic television commentators insists on calling it. It's actually just the Classic or the Irish um, Peter, mm. over to you. You're you're our resident Avellaneda football fan this week. Um, are you optimistic going into this as an independiente fan? It's harassing. Exactly. It's, it's difficult to go in hugely optimistic given the run that independiente are on currently. Um, with, with us not being entirely sure when the the next round of Libertadores. Um, fixtures are uh, that that will obviously have a bearing on on wrestling I thought I mean they're playing obviously uh, tomorrow night or Thursday night um, I think most of us probably expect them to go through um, and if they are then playing the following the following week I'm trying to find that out right now then I, I don't know, even though it's the classical I'm not sure Diego Cocker's going to want to play someone like Melito in three very heavy 90-minute matches in the space of a week. Let's go back to something that uh, Diego Coca said famously towards mm. the beginning of the Tonale de Transition. I would rather lose the Classico but win the Championship. And that drew some ire from Racing fans right up until the point where Racing did, in fact, lose the Classico and win the Championship, <laughs> in which uh, it, it became brushed under the carpet quite quickly. Would he rather lose the Classico and then win the Copa Libertadores? Absolutely. Of course he would. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a gamble. logic follows that if he's prepared to yeah, try course, the Classico yeah. in order to win the league, then yeah, it's, of course It's obviously win. a gamble because if you don't then follow it up with winning the league, then you get hammered when everyone recalls that you said that and you lock, and you and in effect they'll they'll say, Oh, you threw away the Classico. Um, but again, I, I think he, with certain players he has to he, mainly Melito he needs to be slightly careful around him he's not going to I don't think he's never done so so far this season put him in for 90 minutes in the Libertadores on a Wednesday Thursday 90 minutes in the league at the weekend and then 90 minutes again the following midweek so if that was the case coming up this I'd be surprised if they did that um, with so much at stake in the Libertadores um the official Conmebol website doesn't list any dates for the quarterfinal. Um, it's all very, very, very Conmebol-like that we're possibly less than a week away from the first of the quarterfinal first legs, and I still don't know when they're being played, um, which is slightly embarrassing as well. But overall, um, who goes into this Sunday's match as favourites? Andres? In the end, the Racing, you mean? Um... Well, Racing is much better in, in their condition because of Copa Libertadores, and that 
of course will depend on, on if they qualify or not to the quarterfinals I think they will because uh, they they can do it by getting a nearly draw against Wanderers uh, and that will make them uh, face that match with a more a higher level of self-esteem and well the Benite is has his coach in the with the rope on, the, on his throat, I think, because uh, there have been a lot of draws. Uh, I, I don't know, or I I, I would bet there they, they had a lot of one-one draws. Uh, yeah, I think Independiente have seven without a win. But they've only lost one. Of the those. only one is a, yeah. is a defeat, so there yeah, have been a lot of score draws. So Independiente, meanwhile. Lost the first ra- uh, the first match, of course, in, in the league season, and since then have gone unbeaten. They've done so by winning every home match and drawing every away match that they've played. So, uh, Racing's form at least seems to suggest that Sunday's going to be a Racing win. Independently so, of Copa Libertadores, and, and they ha- will have a lot, uh, very few, b- b- very little time, little time to, to recover because. Well, precisely. And so, how we talked ahead of the first of these Super Classicos about how Boca have got a much bigger squad than River. Boca could change 11 players from one match to the other if they wanted to and still feel the relatively strong side whereas River couldn't. How big is Racing's squad? Is it big enough to, to deal with that level of uh, of rotation? I'm guessing that the fact that Carlos Nunez is injured in this case is a serious blow to, to, to the attack or at least it would be if Gustavo Bull wasn't in such fantastic form and, and Seems to be a relatively quick yes. recoverer. I think it wouldn't surprise me if he well, perhaps would be in both matches. But Coca uh, today said he it was a pity that Carlos Munoz is injured because he he gave the team a fresh air to, to the attack and, and and well Brian Fernandez is sometimes he's good. You they, he gives you the impression that he's a fantastic striker and some others is well. It's n- he he's not a, a finishing place perhaps the same way one match and the other one. Mm. Uh, so well, uh, as I said, it will be very de- very uh, it will depend on how how they, they end uh, tomorrow match. Um, Milito, well, it's it's a big question mark about Milito because of course they will they yeah. he will not be playing both both matches since he's thirty six or thirty seven thirty five well. I'm going to go with 36. 36. Yeah, I think 36, and, I, and for that reason, like I said, it, if they do have both midweek. It's 35. What? Turns 36 next month. But Milito and Bow will. I, 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 I didn't hear anything about Racing starting lineup, but I will, I will include Milito and Bow tomorrow and then yeah. wait for them to. to to recover for Sunday. Yeah. It's short time. I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow is a must win. Yes. When we exactly. say tomorrow, of course, I mean tonight. Um, in, in, well, this evening, in fact, it's a 6.30 kickoff. It's remarkably early for a Libertadores kickoff, especially yeah. in Buenos Aires. Um, questions. We've had one from Phil, and the reason that I'm going for this one first, uh, Phil Carney, is that it actually feeds in quite nicely to talking about the classical Yalashinena. Shit, before we move on, actually, we should say who's going to win uh, or who's going to qualify. Um, for the quarterfinal, because so far, uh, with Estudiantes going out, we've only got three Argentine clubs left in the Copa Libertadores now. We're guaranteed to have at most two, two 
um, in the quarterfinals because obviously River and Bogner can't both go through. So, first of all, are Racing going to go through? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Racing as well. And you're going for River to, to qualify with what? A draw? A win in La Bombonera? I, I am not decided whether to guess a, a nil-nil or a 2-1 mm-hmm. defeat. Uh, I, I guess... Oh, yeah, as long as River score, they can afford to lose by a goal as well. I, I guess it will be no penalties, but... Uh, well, the, the key is that they have played... Well, in, in terms of accuracy or, 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 or if they, the plan was effective, or, or, or good it was because uh, apart from the kicks and the fouls and that they achieved a, a, a no goals considering no goals that mm-hmm. for the, the for the second leg is is great and and I think that that will be in favor of them and for of River and and they will that will be key for tomorrow. Uh, it, it looks like River are going to go with just one up front. Rodrigo Mora possibly on his own because of course Teo Gutierrez we've not mentioned Teo Gutierrez yet in this podcast how could we have forgotten got himself stupidly sent off not quite as stupid as Federico Manquecho at the weekend but still pretty stupid um, late on against Boca in the first leg and as a result is suspended which could be a blessing in disguise for River given how Teo Gutierrez has played then then it was said he, will, he, he got an injury also oh he is yeah you're quite right he's out for three weeks with a I think it's a hamstring. That we don't know, we still don't know, don't know if it's real or it's... Well, we will... We'll be talking about possibly false injuries in, in a second as well, when we go on to Phil's question. So it will be, it will be uh, Mora and, and perhaps Lucy, who has had another episode, funny episode yesterday, or also because uh, <laughs> of, of false, false injuries and informations and, and, and alarms and red... Red banners. People said he had mumps and that it might be passed around the whole of the rest of the river squad, and it turns out he's fine and he just had a minor glandular infection or something. Very, very strange, that. Because um, a, 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 some. his beard or some. Uh, I, I don't. I forgot how to say. Stubble? Of the, yes, something like that in, in his beard, and, and that made him. his soul. So, oh, his yeah, glass swollen. Yeah. <laughs> Since Glasgow week, the news uh, <laughs> it's remarkable. Dreyusi, though, is, is a useful player to have in the squad for that because, of course, he's started out as a forward, um, so he knows how to play there, but he's played more recently for River, at least as a, as a midfielder. Um, he's in the Argentina of the 21 Cup squad as a, as a, as a striker, um, but he's played a lot as a midfielder recently, and so including him could give them a, a useful fluidity with numbers in the middle and somebody to help well, out. He will, play, he will play more, more as a striker because, uh, as far as I heard, uh, of course not confirmed, uh, the chosen to, to replace Theo, Theo will be Piti Martinez, so that will mean Piti Martinez play. That's Gonzalo, because River now have three Martinez. River have three Martinez's Martinez. now, because there's another kid who I haven't even heard of who almost made the bench of the weekend. Piti, who is Gonzalo Martinez play instead of Theo, which will mean him playing in the position of old former UC position and UC playing more as a striker. Mm. And Bocas eleven? Nobody knows. Daniel Asvaldo's gonna play, isn't he? 
because yeah, he played the first leg. I think for sure. Which was controversial, but he was surely played the second. Yeah, I think he'll definitely play. I think. Uh, Fernando Gago is bound to. The back four will be the one they. Peruzzi. Catalias is. Even bad. though he was with. had a, an arm injury uh, or a shoulder injury. Yeah. Then uh, Torciglieri and Colasso, yeah. perhaps uh, Meli or Lodeiro. With that bad. is the big uh, question mark. Gago. Gago Perez and uh, then uh, I, I am for, forgiving no Perez Perez or, or no. Meli no no Meli or Pavon, 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 ah, Peru, uh, Pe, pa, Pe, Pavon uh, Carrizo and Nogado Corbas isn't even being talked no, about I think seemingly. you want um, but yeah as, as I mentioned earlier or hinted at earlier uh, Robarene is playing his cards a lot closer to his chest um Possibly understandably, because he's got to get a goal. If, if River can go out and, and find an early goal, then that could kill the tie-off, and it could be interesting. I'm going to go for... Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm sticking my neck out, because I never like predicting Clásicos, but I'm going to go for River to qualify. Boca knows that they have to score. That is for sure. Precisely. And they have to score at least two to guarantee a, a, a straightaway qualification access to the quarterfinals with no penalties. Well, this is Boca and Libertadores, so I think they'll be relatively relaxed about penalties, um, given their record in them. Peter, is the oh, neutral? No. I, well, I think we've had, we've had two of the three so far, and as probably predicted, all the, the previous two have been pretty close. Boca shaded the first one and then ended up with two late goals winning. Hmm. River shaded in, on play, I thought, the second one, and ended up nicking it with the penalty. I think the third is going to be equally close but but I think that one a one nil home win is horrible horrible uh, advantage to have to try and make up for the for yeah. the other team because you're kind of caught between we, we have to go out and score a goal but if we concede you know it's, it's a it's a mountain to climb and I think and the other thing is that super classicals okay we had the five nil in the summer but it was a friendly mm. competitive super classicals are very 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 rarely thrashings mm. there's normally a goal in it and if Boca even if Boca take an early lead if they're still only 1-0 up in say the 85th minute and then knowing that it's only going to take one river goal to uh, for River to go through it suddenly becomes okay do we do we stick or twist do yes. we throw everything forward and try and get a second to kill the match or do we throw everything back and try to stop them and invite them onto us um, and so it's yeah and I also think, I think a, a quite a crucial Thing that happened after the, the second after after the first leg, I should say, was a lot of people thought Carlos Sanchez was going to be reprimanded for his little tussle with Gago. And yes, where well, he kicked around the ear from behind, and, and, yeah. and that would have been a massive, massive blow and to as, River. As um, Andres says, Pablo Perez is what he's Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bo- they I think both basically got off. I think. Presumably Commonwealth just didn't want to. Yeah. So they said, okay, you know what, it's one apiece, let's just ignore Perez it. Perez is for sure, I think, I don't know how he avoided that. No, but what, what? Sanchez, I think, was a slightly more... You reckon? Yeah. I thought Sanchez was, was fairly... I mean, it wasn't a vicious elbow in That's what place. I mean, it wasn't like... But it was a red card offence, you can't whack, you know, clip yeah, somebody yeah. on the head. But I mean, I, I just thought the, the images of Perez was like, okay, there's no, there's absolutely no, oh, he, he was just foot spitting. Shall we put it as Perez? Obviously, it happened much much later. It was right at the very end of the match. If Perez hadn't done that, Sanchez would probably be suspended on Thursday. No, Perhaps. because would that be safe to say? Do you think someone from the Conmebol, who works in the discipline department, said that they don't apply a ban 
if the referee didn't inform it. They do it for, for example, from outside the 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 the, 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 steady, the pitch, like for example, Gallardo talking by a radio uh -huh. when he was suspended. That they could suspend because the referee doesn't. That's, even if, that's even if the referee doesn't put it in his report, if the referee doesn't inform that, they won't. That's utterly ridiculous. But they, he said that, so Perez and Gago and, and Sanchez wouldn't be. If banned. I was, if I was Boca in that case, I would, I would be. Like, or in the case that you were saying, maybe they would say, okay, one of these. Well, they, if I was a Boca fan, I would be thinking I would rather sacrifice Perez and I'm sure Sanchez, Sanchez out because I think Sanchez could be crucial with a team. Who are defending a one goal lead, knowing one goal will be huge if River scoring the ball. Sanchez is the guy he's, who he's, could get He's that. been a bit below par so far this year, but he's a big game player and yeah. he could step it up. And he just has that uh, that sort of knack for midfielders that you can't really teach mm. of just arriving in the box at the at the point unmarked. Even though he's marked a marked man when we play River, okay. <laughs> Sanchez is one of the danger men, he still finds that yard of space in the box, he arrives at the right time and is a good finish and I think he could be crucial tomorrow. So you're going for a Carlos Sanchez hat, Sanchez hat trick and a, a I'm going, progression for River? I'm going for a river, river to progress, whether it's 1-1 on the night or River lose 2-1. As, as a River fan, yeah. I'm now very yeah. worried about this because all three of us have gone for River to go through. I think we need the voice of reason. Joel, of course, two weeks ago before the league, Super Classico said, I think it was Joel, wasn't it, who said that Boca were going to win the league game and that River would go through in the Libertadores. Um, hopefully Joel turns out to be right. We shall see. Um, but talking anyway, as we just were, of South American um, officialdom being stupid, well now we want to our first question. It's from Phil Carney. I tried to ask it a few minutes ago and then realised that I'd forgotten the predictions for the Super Classic of it. Um, and he says, not a question, but a discussion on, I think it's going to be a question that prompts a discussion, on Article 225 would be good, i.e. what the hell is it, and why is it so incredibly stupid? So we'll begin with the first bit, and I'll, I'll do that. Article 225 of the AFA, nobody knows, and I mean nobody, knows what the first 124 articles of the Argentine Football Association's regulations are. But the, sorry, the first 224 <laughs> articles of them. But Article 225... Um, is a bizarre one which states that if your team has a player um, suspended it could be for 5 yellow cards or 10 yellow cards or 15 yellow cards a season or it could be for a red card if a player is suspended and another player linked with your uh, registered sorry, to your club um, is injured on international duty and apparently this has now been broadened this weekend to include, is included in an international squad, um, then you can have that suspension postponed. The best example that we can think of, and as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about fake injuries and is Teo actually injured or not, and well, this comes into play now because Phil uh, is a Lanús fan, of course, and Lanús have been the beneficiaries of Article 225. Uh, already this year, which is one of the reasons that Phil was asking. He agrees that it's stupid, by the way. He, he's not being biased towards Lanús. Um, when Lautaro, Lautaro Acosta was sent off against Banfield for doing the, the same thing that Andres mentioned Fernando Gago doing earlier, the, the ooh, it's cold in here gesture uh, when walking onto the pitch, if there's nobody up in the stands generating any heat. Um, 
in the classic offer Lanning away to Batfield, he uh, was reported in the ref. I don't think he was sent off, but he was reported after the match. No, he was sent off, and he did that when he was walking off. Ah, right. Sorry, that's what. Yes, of course. Um, and as a result, he got an extra match on his ban. So he got a two-match ban. He served the first match, and then for the second match, uh, Lanus appealed for an Article Two Two Five based on what they said was Facundo Monteserin, who is a youngster who's you know fringes of the of the Lanus first team. So from that point of view, it's justifiable. Uh, he he definitely plays a fair few games for them. Um, supposedly being injured on under-20 duty. And this is why I made the distinction, because they have one rule which says that if they're called up for the under-20, for an international squad, it's fine. Um, but normally it's used for, for injuries. But Montesirin had already been called up for the under-20, this the Argentina under-20 squad. Lanús claimed that he'd been injured, um, as a result of which Acosta was allowed to play against Boca and, of course, got sent off then against Boca, so he's now got a three-match ban, because managed to pick up a red card whilst already suspended. And Montessorin played for Argentina on the 20s a couple of days after that. So it turns out he wasn't injured after all. And the AFA presumably knew that he wasn't injured because he played for the AFA's own international team. So Article 225 is already deeply stupid. I just I, I think it should be scrapped full stop. Well, let's say... I mean, the, the idea that a player can, get, can break a leg on, um, on duty for Colombia or Argentina or whoever else and then come back and as a result a player in a completely different position with a completely different status in the first team can have an exemption from their suspension for maybe you know breaking an opponent's leg is ridiculous itself so that's that's the first thing and it lasts for as long as if, if the player gets injured on international duty the postponement of the suspension lasts for as long as that player takes to come back so if the player breaks their leg then that then the guy who's suspended might be allowed to play for the next six months as long as he doesn't get another sending off but the really stupid part of this was what happened with Manquesho's red card at the weekend, where Independiente have appealed for Article 225 so that Manquesho can play this weekend. And the player who Independiente have had called up or injured on international duty... Well, yeah, Peter, just called up. Could tell us about him, Peter. What, what can you tell us about him? No, well, Independiente used Article 225 to essentially say that they're, they're a man down from the squad because... Rodrigo Moriera has been called up to the Argentina under-20 squad who are off to New Zealand for the under-20 World Cup later in the round. Congratulations to him. Yeah, exactly. What, what position does Rodrigo Moreira play? A, Is he like Manquesho, a box-to-box midfielder who's got an eye for goal? Not exactly. He's actually a centre-back. He's Is, yet is, to play is he that. like Federico Manquesho, a key member of, of Independiente's first team? He, he may well be in the future, but at present he's yet to play for at all for the first team. Then why is Federico Manquesho allowed to play? Because <laughs> Mare was out. And he was on the bench once. Yeah, he's been on the bench once. Oh, oh well, in that case. That's the... And I think that was for a Copa Argentina match. Yes. So, he's on the bench once for a Copa Argentina match, different position, that is away with the under 20 squad. <laughs> And yeah, and it, it is fair to say, is it not, that Article 225, at the very least, needs to be refined? I just think scrap, like you said, I just think scrap it, because it's just so open to abuse. And if you're going to have it, maybe the player who's on international duty must have played X number of matches for the first team in the last six months, or... Well, you know, so maybe the, uh, like a panel could actually say, or something. I mean, there's got like to be a panel, you could actually say, 
This is legitimately someone who would probably replace the person exactly. who was injured. But so, some, I can't remember who, but somebody, some team earlier earlier this year or, or last year, managed to get a, 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 a suspension, sorry, a suspension postponed because one of their other players had been called up to the Argentina under-17s, who was nowhere near the first team. And yet, the AFA are fine with this and they sign it off. It's, it's insane. No, but- as far as I, I, I read from uh, at least is that for under 20 players uh, for, uh, some time ago it was said that uh, the player uh, to be used for this article for the, in this case for, for example will be Moreira had to uh, fill the, for, the form the official form in order to play eight times. The, the, for the first division matches. But if he doesn't make it onto the pitch, yes, and that I mean, if he doesn't no, make it onto the bench, yeah, what yeah, I mean, that's the thing that there was some uncertainty. As soon as the as soon as McQuaid was sent off, see the commentators said at the time, oh, and he's he's out of the classical. And I mean, almost ten minutes after kickoff, like I saw Independiente groups on Twitter and like after full time, you mean? yeah, just after full time, um, saying, oh, we can use two two five because Moreira, Moreira is, a, is with the under-20s. But there was still some uncertainty over that because previously they had said there was something about being eight, being in the first team, or like, you know, squat, first team squad eight. So this is, what, being in the team hotel the night before and signing the, the referee's paper to say, yeah, I'm part of the... Yes, they had to sign the, the, the forum in which they, he was part of the team to play a match, be, uh, uh, playing or not, to be in the, in the bench like, like he did once, but for eight, eight times. So they, they've thrown that out the window on this occasion. And then there was also um, the other slightly doubtful thing for this, in this case, was when exactly after we're calling <clears throat> the players for the under-20 World Cup, because the date... It's not about today. Yeah, but, but not in the case of Boca and River, <laughs> which is why it's slightly different, because Boca and River's under-20s are involved with Delibertadores. And so now there's another argument that Rondona has named Druisi, uh, Namana, Kubas, players but, who... Batasha, who is... <clears throat> but play, not those, get anywhere near yeah, those three particularly them, would yeah. be involved perhaps in tomorrow night or going forward in the next round. Um, and so they were given, I think, until next week to join up with the squad, that, meaning they can play here. Mm. But now there's a slight uh, uh, disagreement, I suppose, because I think should either team progress to the next round they would then be out I think for the other 20 World Cup the semi-final is going to be more of a right. problem um, but yeah I mean they're, they're going to lose so, suddenly yeah. either way um, so that's article 225 and it's stupidity as Phil quite rightly puts it um, the under 20 squad do we have anything to say about the under 20 squad? Uh, no, I don't think I mean, there are any real surprises. As English Dan pointed out, there are no players at all from anywhere outside Buenos Aires province and, and Capital for their out. No. Which does rather suggest that Humberto uh, Brandon has been a bit lazy in his scouting. And I think we would have seen people from outside Buenos Aires had... Uh, have you paid any attention, say, to well, Ponce? Well, okay, I, I don't think it's come back for me. Well, I was going to say, though, is if, uh, if Tata Martino had had his say and... Yeah, very true. Because he's always watching bloody meals. So. <laughs> On which note, Jason Withers asks, do you think that Milton Casco's inclusion in the squad for the Copa America, that's the full Argentina squad, is merited? In my opinion, it's about time. 
and what future does he have at international level? I think that Milton Cascos call-up might have been slightly more merited, say, six months ago, a year ago, than it is now. Um, it's an interesting call-up, and it's one that I think has a lot to do with Argentina's lack of left-backs, which we have mentioned many times in the past. Uh, Cascos presumably is going to be an understudy for uh, Marcos Rojo. Marcos Rojo and Lucas Orban, but the, pro- the thing is that both, I think both can play as, as centre-backs. Um, but well, uh, I, I think it has more to do with Martino knowing Casco from News yeah. than for his performance nowadays. Yeah, it did turn Alejandro Seven calling up the Stiliantes players thing. You know, it's justifiable yeah. for a, for national manager. But he also called Federico Fernandez, a, a former Isabella uh, uh, guy, for example, mm. because he had had him also in Estudiantes, and I think that for the twenty three. Players list, they won't be there. Yeah, I, I, I think. think. No, I, I, I wrote something earlier the same. I think both of those players drop out of the 23, and I think. And, I mean, Casco's international future. No. He's, he's 27 and he's played for Gimnasia and Newells and nobody else. So essentially, he's quite unlikely to really. If, have if one. he had the level he had with Martino at News when they won Torneo Final 2013, well, in that case, I would say yes, he will be uh, have a possibility to play for. Yeah. Well, you can say that against about anybody at Newell's, to be honest. That, that, that's, that's one of the, the hallmarks of Martino's time there. Um, I think it's far more, yeah, just that Martino knows him. He doesn't need to really see what he's like in training, because, you know, and, and then likewise, Casco knows exactly how Martino plays. So yeah. he'll, know, he'll know the system and, and everything else. But he I still could, think he'll... He can play in both full-back slots as well. I mean, he's, he's primarily a left-back. We can switch over to the right if needed. So maybe a squad player, but... I just think it's, I think the thing fun. about this preliminary list, though, in some ways, though, is that who can we drop easily? It's not going to make it fast. Exactly, and I and I think like every so we had the same with the World Cup when the thirty list was was named, and people were crying out for the fact that DeSanto was on there and not Devers. And yeah, I had to explain that day to about ten different exactly. people on Twitter that Franco DeSanto had not been picked ahead of Carlos Tevez in the list. And I, th- and I think similar with when we get the 30 list here, there's some names on there which you look at straight away and think, well, you know, realistically, they're, they're there to bulk up. Martino knows what 23 is, in my opinion. <laughs> he's not naming, he's not picked 30 players to say, okay, I'm going to have a week to see, and then I'm going to drop seven of them based on what they're like in training. I mean, yeah. he knows, and I think someone like Casco is probably aware of that position as well. And talking of Rosario, Jason also asks, what are considered the biggest derbies slash classicos nationwide outside Buenos Aires? Is it Rosario or La Plata or somewhere else? I'm going to narrow Jason's question down because I'm assuming that there are going to be some listeners um, who maybe are just familiar with River Boca and are wanting to know just beyond that. And so, first of all, the three main ones outside Capital Federal, which is the city of Buenos Aires, are this Sunday's match, Racing Independiente, quite indisputably, two of the big five, um, meeting that, that's, that's, let's say, number two behind River and Boca. The Rosario Clásico, as Jason rightly says, Newell's versus Rosario Central, um, has a reputation for being the loudest, I think it's, fair to, it's certainly the one that I, I've only seen, I've, I've been to two River Bocas, and apart from that, I've not seen any of the major ones, and the Rosario one is the one that I most want to see myself. Um, and then La Plata Clásico is probably number three. Maybe, maybe Cordoba, Belgrano Instituto, 
But with Cordoba, you've got three clubs because there's Tacheres as well, who, although they've been in the third division very recently, are just as big a club as but the other two. If you so. talk about inside, well, inside Argentina, Rosario Central News or Boys has no competition. Yeah. Racing Independiente is almost capital it's federal. A, yeah, I mean, it's 10 minutes over the, yes, the border. I think for that reason, you, you basically count that as being a Buenos Aires based. Classical. In which case, if you if you definitely remove that, then and, and Racing Independiente is more a town because Avellaneda is more a town than a city, a whole city which is Rosario, which is big big city, and most of the supporters are or even Rosario Central or even News. So yeah. cities divided in two. Exactly. Yeah, Avellaneda is okay. Officially, by Argentine law, it's a city, but effectively, because of the sprawl of Buenos Aires it's a suburb that's divided in two whereas Rosario is a city that's divided in two and it's, it's the third largest city in the country right yes. whereas Cordoba is the second largest city in the country but it's divided in three so okay here's a related question then Andres you're the Argentine so I'm going to direct it more to you what's the biggest classico in Cordoba is it Belgrano Instituto Instituto Tacheres Belgrano Tacheres well, because I've, I've heard people say that although Belgrano are the side with the more recent Primera history, they're actually kind of the third team in Cordoba. Would that be right? Or and this is a genuine question. I, yes. I don't. I don't. I, uh, I, I would have to to to, to guess that to uh, answer that perhaps next week because I, I don't. I am not from Cordoba, and I I if I tell you now because where I feel is Rosario Central, uh, Belgrano Instituto are. Biggest teams in in, in Cordoba. Okay. His, historically, perhaps Tacheres had their times, but mm. now they are well down in the in the I think it's A or B, A or B. Well, I they think. got promoted last year sometime, didn't they? I think. Federal A, I think. It's not National B. Yeah. I'm not going to look it up now. It'll take too long. Uh, so, Belgrano Instituto will will be for me what what, what I feel now, the biggest classico in Cordoba. Mm. Uh, now, well, Belgrano is, I think, one of the now, not I'm not talking about history. One of the uh, best things in in terms of play, uh, they are third, uh, second there, and they are playing very good football. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with the same players since a uh, long time, uh, but yeah, the Instituto in Cordoba will be the cho- the choose chosen classical in this case. There's your answer, Jason. Or well, a sort of answer anyway. Uh, Chris Wardle asks, please explain why we have such a big league and how relegation works. Um, we've done both of those things a few times, but for new listeners, the big league is basically because the former president of the Argentine Football Association, Julio Borondona, wanted to win some votes. Um, the presidency of the Argentine FA is, is uh, one club, one vote, essentially. More or less, it's a bit more complicated than that. But uh, And so he wanted to open up the first division to more teams, and he did that by expanding the league to 30 teams so that's the short answer for that one and relegation is the last three seasons three championships sorry no hang on no three seasons because there are two championships a season until this year um, except that currently because of the half championship it's three and a half championships um, in your current division and if you only play this season let's say in the current division then you only take this season's points and matches you divide the points one by the number of matches played and the teams at the bottom at the end of the season go down uh, that is very complicated. If you want a slightly more um, sensible or, or understandable explanation of it, which albeit is ever so slightly out of date, I recommend going to my um, 
my own blog's uh, uh, history section, which is Asta El Gol Siempre. You'll find a link to it on the Handler Pod blog, which is handlerpod.wordpress.com. Um, so go to Asta El Gol Siempre and look at the about slash history slash how the league works section. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, and there's an explanation down towards the bottom of that on the league pyramid and how it works in Argentina. As of the end of 2014, because I've not updated it yet. This what, what we know for sure is that from the second half of 2016, there will be played whole uh, season. Well, we don't know for sure just yet because you would put it past the effort to, yes, well. to bugger it up again. But yeah, it looks like we're going to have a one championship uh, during a European season style um, from 2016 17 onwards. So we shall see. Confidently, we can only really that, talk about this current season. Precisely. At the moment, <laughs> it's Probably going to happen uh, with 30 teams playing each other 30 times and the Clásicos playing twice this yes. year. But if, it's, if it is like that, at least for for the, the census and for for relations, uh, that will mean three tournaments and the average for those three tournaments because that will be that the tournaments will last the whole season from and 2016. And when Andres says tournaments, he means championships. Championship, yes. uh, but it's also worth mentioning that there are some rumours saying that when we get down to the 2019-20 season, by which time the aim is to have 22 teams, the promedios, the points average system for relegation, will be done away with. But again, nobody knows. It's this. impossible to even begin to speculate on what the effort will do in Liam. one year, let alone four or five. Indeed, yeah. Liam Kelly, who is no relation, says, How far can Argentine sides go in the Libertadores? And also, I enjoyed Sam's audio commentary at the Super Classical First Leg. Thank you very much for that, Liam. I'm um, sure he's not that. He's definitely not related to us. How far can Argentine sides go in the Libertadores? Well, they can go all the way. Yeah. Although, they can no longer, it's impossible now to have an all Argentine final. Now that Estudiantes have gone out, of course, because if two Argentine sides reach the semi final, um, at the most, two Argentine sides can reach the semi-final. They will have to play each other, even if the draw puts them apart. Which I think it does. I think the, the trios, Racing yes. and River and Boca, are on separate halves of the draw. Um, but of course, if they all re- if, if two of them reach the semi, then they will have to play each other in the semi, by common ball ruling. Um, I still, although it, the numbers have dwindled, I still would remain unsurprised if an Argentine side got to the final. Yeah. Um, I, I said, actually, after the end of the group stage, I can't remember whether I said it on the podcast or not, but I said it to people, um, that it would not have surprised me at all if the final ended up being whoever comes out of River Boca um, ends up getting on to the final. I, I heard Although people... they're going to have a tricky quarter-final. I heard people saying that... Uh, against, against the winners of this, I think, no? Cruzeiro San Paolo? Did this team go through to them? I think it Carry on, Andres. Uh, I heard Cruzeiro and Sao Paulo in a penalty shootout penalty, at the yes. moment, by the way, for listeners. I, I heard people saying that River Boca is, it is, an, is like a semi-final uh, disguise of, of, of round of 16 because uh, the one that advances to quarter-final is, they will be strong with their uh, elimination, elim, eliminating the, yeah, the be, arrival. But I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't be so adventurous. Yeah, it's slightly disrespectful for whoever they play. And Robert Reyna also said before the thing had even taken, before even the first, the league Super Classico said, in a way that he'd rather have it in the semi final because, as happened with River last year, you win the semi final and you're in the final and you're flying like that and it's great. Whereas if you win it in the last sixteen, like you've still got three rounds to get through in yeah. order to lift the trophy. Like happened in the twenty. 20- and by the way, whilst Andres was talking, I just confirmed that the winners of the, of the penalty shootout that we're watching right now 
will be the team that um, either River or Boca play next week. We think next week. <laughs> I think on the subject of whether an Argentine side can still win it, um, Rodrigo certainly has scored some Paulo's first penalty and then saved Cruzeiro's first penalty. Carry on, Peter. Oh. It's pointless doing live commentary <laughs> because it will already be over by the time any of you hear this. Um, the sides prop that we just said before a ball had been kicked, uh, I'd have thought in terms of potential winners would probably be River Boca and Racing anyway, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I mentioned on um, a football forum that I post on that I I would have fancied the winners of River Boca and um, Atletico Nacional perhaps to meet in the final. After the way that Atletico Nacional, of course, swept to the uh, Sudamericana final before being beaten by River. Um, as it turns out, I feel slightly silly because Atletico Nacional were completely played off the pitch last week by Emelec and lost the first leg of their last 16 tie 2 0. Um, but it's, it's not completely beyond them. We'll see. Um, but yeah, they can go a long way. Racing, we'll see. Racing had a relative, not perhaps, we, we all talked about what an easy group Boca had. Um, and now that Boca, the, the, the tests have started to come for Boca, they've actually looked you know, better than some of us were expecting them to look, considering the, the easy fixture list they had at the start of the year. But Racing had a very easy group as well, in their own way. Dropped off a bit, I think they lost concentration towards the end because they were so, com- um, so comfortable in it. Um, and as a result, I'm slightly worried about saying that Racing could, could, could go a long way, purely because we've not seen anything from them yet. And they're playing Montevideo Wanderers, who are second place in Boca's group, who, as I've already mentioned, were relatively weak groups. So it's going to be kind of the quarterfinals before Racing really have a challenge, but at the same time, you lose the quarterfinal and you have four matches away yeah. from the final. So. And I also think, but you're right, they haven't really had a test, but Racing have the tools to, to worry a lot of teams. I mean, Precisely, I mean, there's no doubt in the attacking talent, and they've no, been they a good form in the league, now. where they actually have had some, some proper um, yeah. challenges. I, I wouldn't put them down as like, oh, fate, their favourites to win it by any stretch, but... Rusting had a lot of problems to, to get the equaliser against Wanderers, yes. Oh, they played awfully last week, yeah. but that's one match, you know, I mean, yes. if, if they play awfully again tomorrow and end up scraping through on away goals or something, then you might say, well, okay, they've been in quite bad form, but at the moment it's one game, um, seriously, so I, I wouldn't... But they're, but they're tricky to read. With Racing, it's a, it's a tricky one to read. With River as well, because River, frankly, played awfully during the group stage. But of course, if they get through, as we say, they're going to have that boost in, in, in morale um, from going through. Lawrence Hart says, play for the only five-a-side team in England who wear a Defensa y Justicia kit. Can you provide me with some information on the Defensa y Justicia coach? Is he the man to keep Los Alcones at the top level? What can we tell Lawrence about Defensa Justicia's manager? He's Jose Flores. Where the hell oh, is... I was going to say Dario Franco then. No, where the hell does Lawrence get a full five-a-side team's kits? He, by the way... He's an interesting man. <laughs> Lawrence, <laughs> tell us, and we'll, we'll read it out next week. Why do you play in Defensa Justicia kits? And Andres, please go and ask the no, question. He had to take the hair, his first very important decision this week because Esteban Saberhich... A former oh, Racing Yeah, we have a European and a yes. current European international playing in the Argentine First Division. So yes. don't tell us that it's a, a rubbish league, people. Yes, and, and Flores had to give permission. Please explain what happened, though, because the listeners probably haven't heard about this. Yes, Sa- Saber Hitch uh, had his. How do you say? Well, 
grand grandparent of him uh, right, came to Argentina right. from from Montenegro. I don't know wh whether it was called Montenegro because it was a lot of time ago, or it was Serbian Montenegro, or it was Montenegro itself. But uh, his grand grandparent came here, and that made him made him uh, made him have uh, easily national Montenegro nationalization. And he was called up for the Montenegro uh, squad to play against Denmark on the 5th or 6th of, of, of June and the Euro 2016 qualifiers against yeah. Sweden. Uh, so, well, uh, Flores gave permission to Mont to Saberhitch to... Uh, well, he didn't have a choice. It's a fifth of date, so he was yeah. letting go. Well, uh, he decided to, to give him the permission to travel the 2nd of June to Montenegro and play with the, with the squad. As for whether Defensa Justicia can stay up, I mean, well, definitely, yes. They had a decent campaign last term, uh, which gives them a bit of a cushion. They're not particularly high. They are fourth bottom of the relegation table, with only two teams going down. Um, and Defensa have got some goals in them. So They'll stay up because there's two absolutely exactly. shit teams. Well, precisely, yeah. There are, there, are, there are two teams who are just absolutely dreadful and clearly don't belong at this level. Whereas Defensa Justicia, maybe this time next year, for the, that relegation in halfway through 2016 they're going to be in the mix but for this year at least they should be remaining in the top flight um, Tom Robinson asks how is Pablo Mulce these days it's in Brazil isn't he playing for Barmenas no no, no so he's no brilliant nor, nor uh, rubbish I think in the middle <laughs> he's doing alright yeah, <laughs> the interesting stuff, the off-the-pitch stuff and the uh, acts of idiocy we can't really tell you about because he's in Brazil, so we're not hearing about them. Uh, and John Ewan says, how badly will Argentine's involvement in the Champions League final affect Argentina's Copa America preparation? I would say um, that if a national side won't be able to prepare fully with their two most important players, then it affects the preparation quite a bit. Uh, the European Cup final is, of course, going to be on the 6th of June, which is the same day as Argentina's only Copa America, pre-Copa America friendly. Um, and there are four Argentines involved in it, Lionel Messi and Javier Mascherano, who are the two most important players, in my opinion, um, who I just mentioned, and Carlos Tevez and Roberto Pereira. It is Roberto, isn't it? Yes. Pereira um, for Juventus, who are slightly less important, but still important figures in, in the squad. Um, it's going to affect Argentina but given the group Argentina have got I mean they're still going to be favourites to, to get through the group but by that point you would expect I've said since last year's World Cup final that Argentina should be the team to beat in the Copa America I mean, having got to the World Cup final and lost to a non-South American side surely that's how it works right? Yeah. There's nothing different from the other competitions in which apart from the World Cup when they they had perhaps a, a whole month to, to prepare because of the World Cup of course in some other cases or in most of most other cases they have the team or the players uh, to train together a pair of days before the competition takes place so it and, will and be this is, this is why as well I mentioned the, yes. the confusion over the Copa Libertadores quarter-final second of course semis in the final won't be played until after the Copa America but if the quarterfinal second legs are played on the date that pasionlibertadores.com, which is the, the semi-official website that's fan-run, um, currently has them down for, 
that's only three days before the European Cup final, and so Argentine, well, you know, and Brazilians and Colombians and whatnot who are playing for, for teams in the Libertadores will already have uh, been missing out on that one. What are you laughing at, Peter? Just check out the replay of his penalty. He takes so long to take it. A one and a half step run up. And yeah, no, it was, a, the goal it was a step up. It was a run up from the edge of the box, but he does the whole thing oh, like really? in tiny steps. Well, as if he was like just waiting for the goal, goalkeeper to, to jump out of the way. It's three three anyway. We're into sudden death in that penalty shootout now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that concludes the questions. So, in, in other words, quite badly, but probably not badly enough to affect Argentina's chances. Given that it's the Copa America and they have an, a group that Argentina ought to walk anyway. But we can really that, conclude that South American football is not very well organised. Yes. I also think Martino hasn't changed, like made wholesale no, I mean, changes to the, the team. The big change really is Tevez coming in, which is a big cosmetic change. But ultimately, the defence is solid. We know this from the last World Cup. We, a year ago, we would have laughed at saying, oh, the defence is solid for Argentina. But now we're saying it. There's some confidence there. Um, Mascherano, um, yeah. everyone knows Mascherano's role he'll slot straight back in front of that defence and equally with Messi really anyway I remember a lot of friendlies played before the World Cup a pair of weeks before and players injured hmm. big, uh, severely injured and well had well Mamana had to play one of the friendlies in yes. Mata, didn't he? he made an Argentina debut before his River debut because there were so many defenders injured and it turned out to be okay in that respect. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going now to play a little bit more music and then we'll come back with Mystic Sam's predictions for the coming weekend. So do not go away. first thing to mention is that Cruzeiro, in spite of that dreadful penalty that Peter mentioned a minute ago, have gone through, they've put some power out, uh, which means that it will be Cruzeiro playing against either River Plate or Boca Juniors in the quarter-final of the Libertadores. They've already faced one Argentine side, of course, they were in Huracan's group um, of this tournament, so congratulations to them. And we will know within a few hours of this podcast going online who they face in the next round, although we're still not sure when the next round actually is. We'll find out. Here are Mystic Sam's predictions for the league weekend to come. Argentinos Juniors versus Newell's Old Boys will finish in a draw. Tempele versus Huracan I think is going to be a Tempele win. Um, Arsenal de Sarandí against Union de Santa Fe has got surely to be an Union win. Olimpo against Nueva Chicago is an Olimpo win. They're both rather bad teams. It's one to avoid. But I'm going to go with Olimpo continuing their fantastic goal scoring form. Half um, a goal nil. Yes, possibly. Um, Banfield versus Vélez Sarsfield. Uh, surely it's a Banfield win, as we were saying earlier, much earlier. Vélez uh, have dropped off a cliff form-wise recently. Um, San Lorenzo against Sarmiento. Sarmiento in good form, but San Lorenzo are better than we're giving them credit for. I think a lot of the time they are joint second in the league at the moment. Um, so I'm going to go for a home win there. And Letigo de Rafaela against Estudiantes de la Plata will be a draw. Racing versus Independiente, the Clásico de Avellaneda. 
The wrestling have the form, but they also have less time to prepare, so I'm going for a draw. They're in action on Thursday and play the Classico on Sunday. Um, Crucero del Norte against Defensa Justicia is also a draw. Lots of draws this week. Rosario Central versus Lanús, I think, is going to be a central victory. Godoy Cruz versus Belgrano de Córdoba will be a Belgrano win. Godoy Cruz lost today against Deportivo Español. We don't know the players. Yeah, I mean. Godoy Cruz don't lose many in their own stadium, but Belgrano are absolutely flying at the moment. Um, so I'm, I'm going for a Belgrano win. Boca versus Aldo Civi has to be a Boca win, surely. It, regardless of whether they go through and are thinking of the quarterfinal, whether they go out and they're tired. Boca and La Bombonera nearly always bet on a Boca win if they're playing anybody more than about five places below them in the table. Um, Tigre versus River Plate, I think, is going to be a draw, given that River with the smaller squad than Boca, whether they go through on Thursday or not, are almost certain to, to field reserves. And if they don't, you know, if they field the full strength side, then they're going to be tired. Um, Gimnasia versus Quilmes, I think is going to be a Gimnasia win, but probably just 1 0. Um, very likely that we'll see low goals. Colón versus San Martín is also going to be a draw. Oh no, sorry, no, it's not. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a draw, but I'm going to stick my neck out and say Colón win it, and that's all of them. Any particularly strong agreements or disagreements with any of those gents? I think you're underestimating, underestimating the. Um... Caruso effect, nothing Arsenal will. We haven't mentioned Caruso. This podcast's already gone on too long. <laughs> um, Ricardo Caruso Lombardi has been, uh, and you're quite right because in fact he hasn't even been unveiled when I made that prediction, um, but he has been unveiled as the new Arsenal SRD manager, meaning that they're definitely not going to be relegated this season. But given that they weren't going to be relegated this season anyway, however badly they play, yeah, it's kind of a moot point. Well, he said when he took the charge was Julio Granas told me that I would be the manager before he died but he it was it was impossible it was impossible but uh, he Granona was right I'm sure that at some point we're going to start being able to enjoy having Carlos Lombardi back in the Primera um, this week clearly was not it he's been somewhat overshadowed at least for an international I had a pod listening point of view uh, by other events but we hope ladies and gentlemen that you will enjoy Thursday night Super Classico Sunday what time is it on Sunday? Three is early uh, th- Sunday afternoons Classico de Avesaneda and everything in between as well um, don't forget that the league fixtures are all available freely to watch around the world on YouTube um, check out my Twitter or just go to youtube.com and look for football para, uh, web football para dollars, I think is, is the name of the user um, and they're all streamed on there um, so enjoy for now ladies and gents thank you thank you first of all uh, to our sponsors the Argentina Independent you thought I'd forgotten you but I actually haven't I was deliberately waiting to say them until this late um, for a change uh, thank you to the Argentina Independent who provide wonderful English language news entertainment cultural stuff and other things from Argentina and across Latin America. You can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com and perhaps the nicest thing that we can say about them is that they pay for our furnet every week. So thank you very much to them for that. And for now, thank you to listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hand of Pod. I should try and talk a bit more slowly after a couple of furnets at the end of the recordings. And goodbye, first of all, from Andres. Thank you, goodbye. And from Peter. 
Thanks. Goodbye. And from me, goodbye. <laughs>